This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. So the, today what we're going to talk about, if you can't already tell, is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a movable place of worship in the Old Testament. For 40 years, they had to be able to move, pick up, and go while they were wandering in the wilderness with their place of worship. This place of worship is absolutely chock full of important parallels that we can see in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. So to dig in, I want to start with what the tabernacle was, its importance in context of Israel, its significance to the gospel of Christ, and its significance to us as the church. So the purpose of the tabernacle is it was a place where God could dwell among his people. In Exodus 25, 8, it's Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Exodus 29, 45, it's 29, 45, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. So this was a place where he could dwell in the midst of them. And while he does dwell everywhere, where God is everywhere, it is described in Deuteronomy in a way that it's a place for his name to dwell. In Deuteronomy 12, 11, Deuteronomy 12, 11, Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that I command you, your burnt offering and your sacrifice, your tithes and the heave offering of your hand and all your choice vows which ye vow unto the Lord. So all the things that they would do, both to, to worship God, to sacrifice to God, all of that took place at the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself actually sat in the middle of the camp. In Numbers 1, uh, it's going to be verse 52, uh, the point of it was for it to be the center of, of their lives. Their whole lives revolved around this tabernacle, which is one of the reasons why it was so important for them to be able to move it, to pick it up and go. Starting in verse 52, And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard, throughout their hosts. But the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony, that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. Now, I will be talking about the layout of the tabernacle. I'm not going to get too in-depth. There is so much that we can cover here. I mean, you could even take apart what are the materials? What are the importance of the materials? And how does that relate? Um, but we're just going to do a general analysis. And I'm going to start with the courtyard. So this right here, this right here itself is the tabernacle. This, I kind of did a half-inch to cubit scale. So I tried to keep everything within, so this is roughly how it would relate. So this all right here is the courtyard. And it's kind of described in Exodus, it is described in Exodus 27. It's Exodus 27, starting in verse 9. Now shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side, southward there shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of a hundred cubits long. 
for one side, and the twenty pillars thereof, and their twenty sockets shall be of brass, the hooks and the pillars of their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise, for the north side, the length there shall be hangings of a hundred cubits long, and his twenty pillars, and their twenty sockets of brass, and the hooks of the pillars, and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, their pillars are ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side shall be fifty cubits as well. The hangings of one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. So, I'll just draw it right here. So the south side would have been a hundred cubits, both. It would have been 100 cubits long and 50 cubits wide. To put that into perspective, 100 cubits or one cubit equals one and a half foot. So this would have been 150 feet long, so about half of a football field. It's a pretty good size. And the courtyard was open to all the people of Israel. All of Israel could enter into the courtyard. In Leviticus 1, Leviticus 1, verses 1 through 3, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it in of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. So the door to the tabernacle would have been right here. All of this is the courtyard. So they would have been allowed into this area. And strangely enough, when I was looking and I was doing research on this, in 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 41, uh, they would even allow strangers into this area just into the courtyard. Uh, 41 to 42, Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people of Israel, but cometh out of a far country for the name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name and thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm, when he shall come and pray towards this house. So, mostly for Israel, but on occasion they would even let a stranger in here. Just in here. And in here we have the altar of burnt sacrifice. This would have been five by five cubits. So seven and a half foot by seven and a half foot. This thing was pretty big. Uh, I mean, it had to be to fit a whole bull on top of this. Uh, they go into description in Leviticus 4 of the sin sacrifices, and that's, that's really what I want to focus on this when it comes to sacrifices. And I'm going to get more into depth of a specific sin sacrifice in a moment. Um, I'm just kind of going to run through this. Young bulls without blemish, young lambs without blemish, young goats without blemish, all of these without blemish are what would be sacrificed here for the purpose of a sin sacrifice, for a sin offering. And that would be for 
Aaron as the high priest. That would be for his sons as the priests, for the whole congregation, all of Israel. They would spill out the blood here and pour it out, and the priest would take his fingers and dip them in the blood, and he would sprinkle them before the veil, which was right in here, which we'll get to that in a moment as well. But each time they would, they would take it and they would cover different parts as they sacrificed and poured out the blood of this for the sins of the people. And this, this sin offering in particular was done frequently. There's an atonement which was done once a year, but this was done fairly frequently. And the amount of blood that would have just been covering everything. So much blood was involved, and even then, that was not enough to cover up their sins forever. From here, we have the labor. Labor is going to be in Exodus uh, 30, starting in verse 17. And this was used by the priests. It was necessary by the priests, even the high priests, that they had to wash themselves clean. They would wash their hands and their feet before they ever entered uh, Exodus 30, verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and it shall put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall wash with water that they do not die. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so that they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout the generations. So any time, the only people allowed into here were going to be the priests. And in order to be able to enter here, they would have to wash here first. The whole tabernacle would have been 10 cubits by 30 cubits long. So 15 feet by 45 feet. Numbers 310 points out that only the priests were allowed in. Numbers 3.10, And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Within this holy place, the access to the priests only, we have a few different things. Let's start with the lampstand. In Exodus 27, verse 20, it's Exodus 27, verse 20, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. So at all times in this tabernacle, in this area, which is the, uh, the holy place, forgot to write that down. This light would have been constantly burning. Day or night, they would have had light in the tabernacle. 
You also have the altar of incense, where incense would be lifted up daily. In Exodus uh, chapter 30, 7 to 9. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps. He shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it in perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So he was told to lift up this incense without ceasing every day, morning and evening. He was also told to be careful with this. If going on to verse 9, you shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifices, nor meat offerings, neither shall ye pour drink offerings thereon. It's not about what Aaron wants to do. God is very specific. It's about what God wants. It's about what God wants to be lifted up to Him. And in here you also have a bread of presence, which was always there. In Exodus 25, uh, verse 30, And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always, one for each tribe. Um, that's, how, that's how many pieces of bread were laid out there. Moving from here, we have this thing separating right here. And this is the veil. The veil was huge. So the tabernacle itself, so we have, it was 30 cubits by 10 cubits. Height-wise, it was 10 cubits as well. The Holy of Holies was 10 cubits. The most holy place right here. So this curtain, this veil, would have been 10 by 10, 15 feet by 15 feet. Exodus 26, uh, Exodus 26, verse 31. Thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet, fine twined linen of cunning work, with cherubim shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars in shittim wood, overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver, Thou shalt hang up the veil under the tatches that thou mayest. Bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of, of the testimony in the most holy place. And we're going to get to the ark here in a minute, in the mercy seat. Uh, but this veil would have been, it was so finely woven by hand. It would have been so thick. We don't have an actual description in Scripture of how thick this would have been. Uh, but there was an ancient scholar by the name of Josephus who went to the tabernacle and had described it as a palm's width thick. It would have roughly been four inches thick. I mean, I got this right here. This is, even if I pulled this once that's half an inch that's maybe an inch maybe and then four inches thick four inches that's crazy could you imagine how heavy this thing would have been at the size that it was and then we have it enters into the holy place right here. Um, in Leviticus 16.2, Leviticus 
it says that God resided here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in, a, in the cloud upon the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant that we already mentioned being in this place, had Hattie give me a picture here. It's wonderful from a distance. Don't, don't look too close. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus 25, Exodus 25, starting in verse 17, it's described, And they, thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. I'm not going to get too far in depth with what lies within the mercy seat. You have the Ten Commandments, some manna. We could do a whole other sermon on what lies within the Ark of the Covenant. Um, but right now, this is where we're going to start. And so here we have the two cherubims, and then between them, right here, would have been the mercy seat. And the importance of the mercy seat is on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement happened once a year. Leviticus 16, starting in verse 11. It's Leviticus 16, verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat. Eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation, that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in, to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. Even with all this blood, the, the sacrifices that were happening constantly, he still had to go in once a year and make an atonement on the mercy seat and, spread the blood, uh, and sprinkle the blood of a pure animal of a bull and of a um, <laughs> uh, and of a goat onto this uh, mercy seat, and even then that was not enough. But that was not supposed to be enough. It was supposed to be the whole plan. 
Enter the gospel. Enter Christ. In Hebrews 9, we're going to be starting in verse 1. And we're going to go all the way to verse 16. Because knowing this stuff about the tabernacle makes this so much more fun to to go through and to see. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 1. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over in the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. At the end of the day, none of these sacrifices made any of them perfect. As pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washing and cardinal ordinances, imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good news, uh, of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Neither by the blood of goats, but by, the blood, by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats And the asher of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. How much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause... He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. It was because of Him. He went. He sacrificed Himself so that we could have a chance at eternal life to cover our sins. His blood was poured out. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 10, it's Hebrews 10, verse 10 to 14. By the which will, 
by the which will we all are sanctified through the offering of the blood, or the, sorry, uh, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By his one sacrifice, he was able to cover all of our sins. Something that I find absolutely fascinating is in the book of John, chapter 20, verse 11. John, chapter 20, starting in verse 11. John's really the only one that describes Mary coming to the tomb, this picture, this exact way. And there's a reason for it. John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stood, stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And what is in the middle? The mercy seat. The mercy seat. It is because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we have obtained mercy. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Christ is our mercy seat. And it is because of Him that we have been able to obtain this grace and this mercy. Significance for the church is here as well, other than just the gospel. Well, it is the gospel. But the courtyard, the significance for the church in the comparison here, look at the courtyard to start. The courtyard was for everyone, just like we already mentioned in, in 1 Kings. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is also for everyone, just like the courtyard was for everyone. That's why we are called to teach all nations. In Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, all, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So here we can have a little stick figure. Everyone. But here in the tabernacle, this is limited. The only people 
at that time who, in the Old Testament who had access to the tabernacle were the priests. As Christians, we are now part of the holy priesthood with Christ as our high priest. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 Wherefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling consider the apostle and high priest of our profession Christ Jesus He's the one who made the sacrifice for us He was the one that first stepped through this curtain so that we could have mercy In 1 Peter 2 1 Peter 2, verse 9, mentions how we are part of this priesthood. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are allowed to step in to the tabernacle essentially made without hands. That's what he mentions. And what's in here? Well, mentioned out of darkness into marvelous light, there's light. There's light in the tabernacle. Jesus is that light. John 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We have access to the light that is Jesus in our lives. And Christ shines His light only on us. Those who live in the world and are of the world have been blinded. You see this in 2 Corinthians 4. That's 2 Corinthians 4. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go to 6. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Only those who follow Christ, only those who become part of this holy priesthood have the light of Jesus in their lives. Now, Matthew 5.1, if you want to turn to Matthew 5.1, it mentions that we're to be the light to the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We are supposed to share the gospel. We're supposed to share this light with others and bring them into this. We also have incense in here is mentioned. And this would be a representation of our, our prayer 
in our worship. See, just like the incense that we mentioned before, it had to be the right incense, so does our worship need to be the right worship. In John 4, starting in verse 23, John 4, verse 23 to 24, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We are commanded to worship in a specific way. We're not supposed to bring any strange worship. We're not supposed to do anything different. It's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. And our prayer, our prayer is as incense to God as well. In Psalms 141, Psalms 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. See, as the priests would offer incense continually, we are also to pray continually. Uh, in Thessalonians 5.17, Thessalonians 5.17, it says to pray without ceasing. Now, something cool happened here at the death of Christ. In Matthew 27 50 to 51, Matthew 27, 50 to 51. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The veil that's four inches thick, finely woven, was ripped in twain, right down the middle. That veil would have been the only thing separating man from God. And Jesus just ripped it in half. He took it away. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we as Christians now have full access to the mercy seat. As part of the royal priesthood, we have full access to the mercy seat. And God wants to have a relationship with us. He tore this down because He loved us and He cares about us. And He wants to be a part of our lives. So how do we get to here? How do we get from here to in here? See, the sacrifice was already made. Now we must follow by laying down our own lives. Christ's blood was already shed out for us. And like the priests washed themselves before entering in, we also need to do the same. In following Christ, we need to lay down our old selves. In Romans 6, starting in verse 5, it's Romans 6, verse 5 to 11. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, 
knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he live, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but also alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So his blood was already shed out for us. And it was poured out, and likewise, in following Him, we need to also lay down ourselves, lay down our own lives here in repentance. Then we have the labor. See, to be a part of the priesthood, they would wash their hands, they'd wash their feet. And likewise, we need to be washed clean as well. In Acts 22, Acts 22, verse 16, it says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So by being here, and hearing the gospel, in order to get into here, and to get into the tabernacle, to be a part of that priesthood, we need to lay down our old life and repent. And we need to be baptized, to be washed clean, for our sins to be washed away. Uh, you see this example in Acts 2. Acts 2, where, where people are hearing the gospel news for the first time. Starting in verse 7, or 37, Acts 2, 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And at this point, this is where they're at. They're in the courtyard. They're asking, how do I get to be a part of this? How do I get to have access to the mercy seat? How do I get to have this relationship with Christ that we see you shining your light out, showing so well this relationship and this love? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Being in here, they believed. Not of the world, not out here. Being in here, the gospel was able to reach them, and they believed, and they needed to repent and be baptized. And they got to have all those blessings that we get to have as the church, as the congregation. The tabernacle is, I, I could go so more in depth with this. It's such an interesting, interesting thing to look at and how it plays a huge role in the Old Testament and how you see it shown in the New Testament and in our lives. And as, as members of the church, we are so blessed to be part of this holy priesthood, to have, have the light of Christ in our lives, to be able to pray and have this relationship with God, to have access to this mercy seat. If you already are part of the church, that's what you get. And if if you are here and you are in this courtyard, if this is where you are at, and, and you want to be part of this, you can come forward here in a moment as we stand and sing, and you can repent, and you can lay down that old life behind you. And you can be baptized to walk anew. If any other brothers or sisters have any other 
things that they want the congregation to pray for as well. Uh, feel free to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.